Hello and welcome to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod, your authentic global voice for the pre-sales and buyer enablement world. And we have some fun along the way too. So thanks for joining us and don't forget to find out our top tips on today's topic at the end. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. And this episode, uh, we're going to be talking all about deal crash investigations. What does that mean? We're going to find out very shortly. My name is Tom Edwards, and I'm joined as ever by Mark Green, Adam Hello. Freeman. Hiya. And we are joined with a very special guest this week. It's uh, Darren Mason. And Darren, if those of you who don't know, he's a thought leader in pre-sales, I think customer experience, all sorts. Perhaps, Darren, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, thank you, uh, Thomas, and it's great to to be on the on the on the webcast um, on the podcast. Rather, I'm a, an avid listener. Um, so my name is Darren Mason. Um, I am a, a pre-sales um, leader, blogger, um, and and everything else. And um, you know, I've I've also come from a customer experience background. About thirty four now, thirty four years in pre-sales. Um, so, so a, a long time and, um, deal crash investigation is one of my passions, as you've mentioned, Thomas. So it's great to be on, on the, uh, on the, on the podcast. So if I was to ask you a question, Darren, why did the world, so you published a book, right? Um, and we'll talk about that, but why did the world need that book? What, what led you to create your masterpiece? Well, it's good to meet you, Adam. And, uh, and it's a great question. And um, I'm, I'm going to start with an analogy, actually, in that there are there are millions of books on sales, right, in the marketplace, selling and sales. And we've got bookshelves full of them. And um, a bit like cookbooks, really, um, there's, a, there's, there's thousands and thousands of cookbooks on the market, but there's no books on washing up. So <laughs> everybody knows they have to do it, but there's no books on it. So I think that this is probably, if I'm being flippant, the 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 um, the, the the washing up book for for sales. Essentially, um, there are hundreds of books on sales. There are precious few, if any, on uh, what happens when things don't go according to plan, when things go wrong. And um, you know, one thing I've noticed in my career, and and part of the reason for the book is that I was very frustrated that when major deals were lost there was no systematic analysis of exactly what went wrong um and all of those potentially rich rich learnings were were just lost and that was a kind of that was a frustration that that kind of haunted my career until i actually did something about it So what did you do about it then? I suppose that's the next <laughs> logical step, right? So you, wrote, you wrote the book. Um, and I think people can gather, right? So deal crash investigation is yeah. fundamentally around mm-hmm. win, win loss review, correct? And yeah. there'll be a lot of people right now with the way the world is kind of focus. I think this will come into focus more in the next kind of three to six months, particularly. Um, you know, we have to love every lead now. That's the world mm. we live in. Um, and historically, loss analysis has always been something we did. But do you think we've historically done it correct? Do you, you know, was that one of the drivers for the book? What can we learn from that? 
Yeah, and we and, and and in short, we haven't done it correctly over the years. And and I talk broadly about the culture of sales, especially enterprise sales organizations. So my eureka at moment came when I was thinking about one of my other interests, aviation. I was I was always interested in planes as a kid. And some people might say I had a slightly morbid interest in plane crashes. And the reason why I had an interest in 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 that side of aviation is that flying is the safest form of transport on the planet, bar none. And it's no accident, if you can pardon the pun, about why it's so safe. And it's so safe because when there are problems, when there are accidents and incidents, even minor ones, let alone major ones, they're systematically analyzed. And what you find with air crashes, if anybody's ever studied major air incidents over history, is that it's never one thing that goes wrong. It's a confluence of unfortunate events that all conspire to cause an air accident. Some people call this the, this the Swiss cheese effect, where, you know, Swiss cheese, you get slices of Swiss cheese, and the Swiss cheese has got holes in. And if you were to line 20, 30, 40 layers of Swiss cheese up to the light it would completely block the light. But one chance in a million, you will line these pieces of Swiss cheese up and just the holes will line up. Just that one in a million chance. And when that, those holes line up, that's when accidents and disasters can happen. You know, that really unfortunate and rare, thankfully, um, series of events. And then the air accidents um, uh, industry and whether it's in the US with the NTSB, the National Transport Safety Board, or whether it's in the UK with the AAIB, the Air Accidents Investigation Branch, they systematically analyze um, all of the factors, not just maybe the, the single factor, the smoking gun, as I call it, you know, the, 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 um, the core reason, but they investigate all of the different aspects to what, what, what led up to... Um, an air accident, and they put dozens and dozens of safety recommendations in place to prevent those holes lining up, to prevent those accidents happening again. And really, um, the my eureka moment was when I thought, this is exactly what happens when you lose a major deal. You know, you have these, it's, it's never one thing, and that's where the culture of our sales organizations has failed us over the years. Because in my experience, when we lose a big deal, one of two things happen. Either it's brushed under the carpet because the salespeople, the sales team believe that the next win will plaster over the cracks of the loss. Or they somebody comes up with a smoking gun, one reason why it failed. We failed on price. We had some missing functionality. The competitor outdid us in one particular area. You know, the customer's champion was, you know, um, wedded to the competition. We, we think of one reason, but we'd never go beyond that. And we never put recommendations in place that could potentially stop that happening again. It, it's hard, though, isn't it? Because sales and salespeople and some of the very best salespeople I work with are eternal optimists, right? Um you know, and we always think so, you know, I call like hunting the no, getting to the no quicker, trying to fail fast, all these things. And I think sometimes we, 
I know, Tom, we've spoken about this in calls mm. we've had and things, but it's hard sometimes, isn't it, that when you're in that positive mindset, because you have to be, you have to be resilient, to go and really analyse why we lost, why we failed, because that's that's a negative slant, right? So how, I suppose if I was curious here and asked you a question, how do you make loss analysis a positive thing? Yeah. Is that a cultural shift? Is that a... Uh, is that something the individual's got to brace, or is it an organisational thing? It's organisational. It's cult- it's cultural. Let me address two issues that came out of your point there. Firstly, this kind of qualification issue, this chasing chasing everything, especially in the current e- economy, chasing every deal that comes and loving every lead. I think you mentioned, which I love. I love that phrase. Um, if you look at air crashes, right? The the um, if you look at the statistics around air crashes. There's two areas where there are particularly at risk, takeoffs and landings, right? And my analogy is that lead qualification is like the takeoff. Quite often, that's one of the most treacherous parts of a deal. Um, and, and and quite often, you know, if, if there are problems, it's better not to take off. I think we'd all agree with that. <laughs> There's technical problems. Let's not take off. So um, absolutely, some of the recommendations I come up with um, are those. Now, um, this issue about wins and losses and how do you make it a positive exercise, uh, I think this is cultural because Deal Crash deals with a fundamentally the shift between having a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. The fixed mindset is the fear of failure and the fear of being blamed for failure. Now, if you look at the mantra of, of, of the air crash investigators, their mantra is, not to blame somebody or to fire somebody or or or, or blame pilot error, which is a, a very antiquated term in air crash investigation now. It's to prevent the loss happening again. And that's a fundamental shift from looking at the person that happens to be at the pointy end of the plane, if I use that analogy, to the system in which that overall, you know, air, 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 um, uh, uh, journey fits and it's the system so you make sure there's no possible single point of failure so you know um to to err is human as the saying goes and therefore you can't um make one person responsible for winning a major deal you have to have um checks and balances and mitigations so you you have a governance of sales meetings deal deal reviews you know quarterly meetings to make sure that a deal is being handled and that all the stones are being kicked over and that your whatever your sales methodology is is being adhered to correctly because one of the biggest things i tend to find is people got a great sales med- med- methodology medic medpick but the governance around it has just is just become um, lax, um, and 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 people salespeople talking about what they know rather than what they don't know, which is a, a common a common failing. Well, it's really a really lovely shift in perspective that you've got there, Darren, of um, not looking at the way in which failures should be addressed they are sometimes failures but taking each place where that failure happened and counting at is it as its own thing which has existed for a while a, a place where failure happens doesn't only exist when the failure happens 
It has existed throughout, and therefore these barriers that we can put up um, to, to disaster can be health checked throughout the way um, in order to make sure that the, you know, that the, that the, 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 well, if it's not a, a physical barrier, if it's a, prop, a physical barrier to make sure that the, the locks haven't rusted through, that, that the signposts are still legible, things like that. And, and I think putting that into the sales and pre-sales perspective, we can do things in order to not end up at a loss. And if we go go through those with an understanding and we've checked them, then that then that's fine. But I think we forget to check off the things because are they through to that stage anyway? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. And um, and in in the book, I talk about two types of failure: what I call active failures and what I call latent failures. So an active failure is where somebody just does something wrong in the moment, right? It might be within a demo. It might be within a negotiation. It might be within an RFX or something like that. A latent failure, these are the, the things that, that I think in, in, in common parlance, I would say accidents waiting to happen. Latent failures are things in the system, like um, a lack of training in a particular area, for example, um, lack of... Um, of, of governance somewhere um, that's that where things can slip through the net, um, you know, lack of qualification, perhaps going back to, to Adam's point there, you know, lack of rigor around qualification. There might be processes, procedures, or, or just training, tra- sales enablement that are missing. And therefore they are little, little kind of time bombs waiting to, to crash your deal you know, later on. And those things need to be addressed as well. So both latent and active um, failures need to be, to be, to be addressed. And I love this because I think you touched on the point a moment ago where, you know, it, it is difficult to get that cultural shift unless it's coming sort of from the top down because, you know, sales guys don't want the blame. I've, I've seen it myself that, you know, opportunities where you have lost, where it can be very difficult to do any kind of retrospective on them because people do just want to sweep it onto the carpet. But here's a question, though. What I equally see is when we win, everyone pats themselves on the back, you know, depending on your organisation. If you're in pre-sales, you might get a bit of commission. Fantastic. Everyone goes off and celebrates and then moves on to the next deal. And we don't really understand why we win. I mean, do you, do you see an importance on doing a review on the wins that we get as well? I do, um, and and this is this is a question that I get all the time, um, and it's maybe a different book, but let me let me let me share my thoughts on that. Um, salespeople need no encouragement to talk about their wins, um, not that I've ever found, because it's about like like um, the the big fish type of stories, you know, about what they they what they they they, they caught as it were, um, and also let me let me take a sports analogy when you look at. Um, Olympic gold medal athletes, they analyze their their race losses in much, much, much greater detail um, and forensically more than their wins. And it's a simple reason. And that is that when you win something, everything you plan to do happened according to your plan. Everything you plan to do happened according to your plan. Congratulations take a bow 
Go to Quota Club, Sales Club, brilliant. You've won the deal and talk about it and evangelize it about the organization. When you fail, your your plans were flawed fundamentally at some point or at multiple points in the execution. And that's why my book, Deal Crash, focuses on what is difficult and what is difficult is and where the resistance is 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 in 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 analyzing deal losses. Now, here's the thing: you can read Deal Crash, you can apply all of those techniques, all of them, to deal wins. Because within deal wins, there are always things that you can tighten up, you can improve. And I've actually done this with organizations, actually. They say, look, we want a deal, but it was really painful. It wasn't good business. We don't think we can deliver it. And uh, and and it's equally important to analyze those. I, I agree. And I've, and I've done that. But Deal Crash, really, the, the, the book title emphasizes the, the critical importance of embracing this for where it's of the greatest value. And the greatest value is making sure that you um, cover all of the gaps in your processes and procedures that cause deal losses so that you can increase your win rate. If you can increase your win rate just by a few percentage points, as any sales VP or or, or, or uh, chief revenue officer will tell you, just by a few percentage points makes a huge difference to the top line of your business. So it's really interesting because you remind me of some of the people I've known, you know, across sales generally. And some people say, oh, you know, sales is an art form, right? And actually it is becoming more and more and more of a science. The more we learn, the more we evaluate, the more we feed that and forward feed that back into our processes. It becomes a science and it becomes um, a repetitive success when you get it consistently right and your plans adapt. So this is all really resonating. But the one thing I'm really interested in, because of your angle and your background, I sometimes think that pre-sales have historically taken a back seat in win-loss review because revenue was executed on by by sales. Now, I think that whole thing is changing, right? I think that's quite an archaic way of looking at things. But um, to be provocative here, what do you believe and to what extent is the role of pre-sales in in deal reviews? that's That's a very insightful question, Adam. So, and there's multiple angles to this. Firstly, there's the obvious angle, and that is that pre-sales and pre-sales leaders are experts in the solution side of it. So when I talk about putting um, a deal crash investigation team together, the NTSB, by the way, they call these go teams. So a go team is is kind of ready to go, as the name suggests, in the event of a major loss. So Part of that go team is the kind of um, is the the engineering structural expert in plane crash terms. In our terms, it will be the pre-sales guy that understands the solution in its broader context, inside and out. So it can it can look at the deal loss from the solution perspective. You also have people on that team that can look at it from a, a sales and governance perspective. Others that can look at it from a, a people and relationships perspective. But you need that solutions perspective as well. That's one thing. Second thing is, um, there's one vital skill with deal crash investigation that we are lacking, and that is facilitation skills. Because within a deal crash investigation, I usually recommend um, having a deal crash workshop, which is really the equivalent of bringing all the wreckage into the hangar and trying to put it all back together again, right, to see what happened. And 
it's this area where you need good facilitation skills. Now, in my experience, firstly, there's a rarity of good facilitation workshop skills in the organization. But where they tend to sit is in pre-sales because pre-sales people are used to holding these workshops with customers and they have a certain set of skills around facilitation. And secondly, they might exist in sales enablement as well uh, with those skills, you know, doing sales enablement workshops. But you need these skills. So sales, so, so they they come into, um, into, into interview there as well. And finally, what I would say is in organizations that I've worked in, large corporates, the pre-sales team is much more stable and consistent than the sales team because the salespeople come and go depending on whether they've reached their quota or not. And having that continuity of organizational knowledge is really important, I think, for for um, deal crash investigations. So I hope that answered answered your question there, Adam. I think it answered it. And, 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 and just formed a whole load of more other ones in our brains. I can see see the other people here recording the podcast and we're all nodding away and smiling going, yeah, that's cool. One thing that came to mind when you said that is that I was recently working with a company that, that, that when they go into the deal, they do this bit of health check. Having experienced many of these crashes before, they do a bit of a health check and they divide up their deals into should win, could win, <laughs> might win, and red flag, do it on your own. We we know we won't win there. Um, do you think that affects how, when we come down, come out the other end, how much you apply the we should really dive into this because we should have won? If it's one where we go, well, we know that we're not a great fit, but we'll we will play like every we've got to love every lead. What's your what, what's your advice on how that affects the the end that's a really good 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 question as well and i think that there's multiple issues that come up with that let me try and address them and i'll come back to you because i don't think i've, I've remembered them all um, <laughs> but the first one is that um there's a there's a role for leadership okay if 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 a if a deal is not winnable or if it's a kind of it's a, if it's a bit of a punt as they say then somebody in leadership, either first line management or, or or second, needs to make a call on, is it more important to chase a lost cause or is it more important to reinvest that effort into um, into um, prospecting for, for new business? So it's a fundamental question. Where's the best um, investment of your time? So that is a leadership issue that shouldn't be shirked. Um, the, 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 the second thing that occurs to that is that when I recommend people do deal crash investigation, especially large organizations, um, I have, I've got a whole section in my book about what thresholds do you place on the organization about which deal should be analyzed? Because you could analyze them all, but you know, it's better if you focus on a particular type of deal. So for example, um, you might look at strategic deals that need to be analysed by pure value, by total contract value, perhaps. You might look at them through a geography that you're particularly keen on winning new business and you keep losing business in a particular geography. In a particular industry, you might keep losing business that you want to figure out why. Um, you might want to look at a new product that you're launching and analyse 
deals within that new product launch area to see where you need to improve the product or into improve your execution so um, i encourage organizations to set clear thresholds that trip trigger the need for a deal crash investigation and focus on those for the highest value and the highest return on investment um, basically so I, th- I think i addressed all those those issues mark but but come back if I you do. know it, it, it really does because um these are complex structures to to think about and i think what you're what you're really um helpfully advising is that um people need to take responsibility of of owning some some more process some more uncomfortable processes um in order to be better overall yeah yeah, no, I, I I agree. I agree. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the stuff that I come up with might be considered as 2020 hindsight, but that doesn't actually matter. What matters is implementing the recommendations that that come out because, mm-hmm. you know, it may be hindsight, but you still got to plug those gaps. And so by coming up with smart recommendations, this is the way that you 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 actually plug those 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 holes in your sales processes. And that, that Swiss cheese that I spoke about, you know, you you kind of you turn it more into um into into cheddar or or, or whatever a holeless cheese is in a bit more solid with a bit more structure. Yeah. <laughs> other cheeses are available. Yeah, other cheeses are available. <laughs> um yeah, I, I think you make a really good point here. This whole 2020, you know, looking back and there's a there's a bit of re-engineering that I know is going on. And I was speaking to other pre-sales leaders, right? Where we're kind of looking and going, well, we're we're two years now you know, plus after the pandemic started, you know, we're approaching three years, actually, since we really started working this way. It's time to go back and really look at, well, this is new normal now. And we spoke about that a lot of the time. People have forgotten that now. And so this is playing out into sales cycles of how we work. We're normalizing now. And it's time to go back and really have another look at that and and optimize it. But one quick question for me, just before we kind of go around and and wrap up, because we are rapidly approaching the end now. Um, Internal or external, you know, who should be doing really this? And Mark, you, you'll you probably have an opinion on this as well, but is there a pros and cons of doing it yourself versus maybe getting agencies out there to do it? Um, nice one. Um, and I think I, I think there's a hybrid approach here that you could you could tank, um, handle. Firstly, going external is, is, is often a great idea because you'll get a completely independent view of your organization you'll get a different angle on things but of course um what i really try and encourage is to people to embody the methodology um within and embed it within their own organization so they're not reliant the problem is if you go external when you stop using that external consultant or provider then the initiative often often ends and then you go back to that fixed mindset now the reason why I think a combination of things is good is because what we haven't discussed yet is the customer's voice. So let me talk about black boxes for a second. On an aircraft, um, there are there are two black boxes. Actually, the fallacies are about black boxes on aircraft is that they're black. Well, they're not. They're bright orange because they're fluorescent. Because if you're going to grab something from 40 meters under the sea and you're going to try and find it in, a, in an air wreckage, it's it's got to be bright and it's got to be orange. So the second thing is there are two black boxes. There's the cockpit voice recorder and there's the flight data recorder. And my analogies for these are 
the the sales data internally within your organization where you can get people together you can discuss it you've got presentations you've got rfx's you've got contracts that's your own data your your kind of flight data essentially cockpit voice recorder is my analogy for the voice of the customer now the one thing that uh, always amuses me slightly is that you know when you lose a big deal the customer invites you to a debrief, usually invites you to some sort of debrief. And the email goes to the sales rep and the sales guy goes along and um, and goes to the debrief and comes back and tells the rest of the organization why we lost the deal, which is exactly equivalent to allowing the, 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 the pilot of an aircraft to rake over the wreckage, grab the black box under his arm, take it home, and come back and tell everybody why the plane crashed. You would never do that. But why do we send salespeople back in to see the customer to find out why their own own deal was lost? So, I mean, it's it's, it's a slightly amusing way of saying, um, you know, try and send take somebody into that meeting that's one or two steps away from the actual sales team, so you get that independent view. And that's where I, I suggest a hybrid approach, Adam, where you maybe use somebody external that's not seen as part of the organisation to to gently interview the customer about why, from their point of view, they selected somebody else other than you. Well, I'm going to jump in with my actionable insight as we come to the end because the because yes, we do the same. We use an external company. We want that or that authentic review message. If it's good, if it's bad, whatever. The one thing they can't do is um, affect change. They can't. They can't improve the processes. Help the way in which we actually go about doing things. So you're right. I think a joint approach is really good, and it's an in, absolutely fascinating approach. So thank you, Darren. Tom, Adam, who wants to jump in there? Yeah, I I think, well, I've actually got two takeaways from, from this. Uh, first of all, Darren, this has been so interesting, so insightful. It's got me thinking about so so many things that, you know, things I've seen in the past, things that perhaps we could do a little bit better. I think the, the one thing that's really stuck with me is we've got so many people who listen to this podcast who are solutions consultants, pre-sales. And you said, like, the people who are going to be best at running some kind of workshop likely to be pre-sales because this is what we do with our customers so it's probably on us as well pre-sales leaders at least to at least start the conversation of getting the scs to be a big part of that process enabling an internal workshop the other thing that uh i think is abundantly clear here is you've got to have actions that come out of this kind of process because i've seen it in previous organizations where we were actually really good at doing win-loss reviews, interviewing the customer, and then it stopped. And then there never seemed to be any kind of time-bound actions that people were accountable for. So even with a bit of knowledge, nothing was still changing for the better. So uh, I'd say those are my two uh, takeaways. So, But thank you. Well, Tom, if you've done two, I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was greedy. Right. There, if I might just do three, right? <laughs> like, why not? But no, my two. So I'm, I'm actually going to do it slightly differently this week. I'm going to do it from the point of view of a leader. Okay, I'm going to do it from the point of view of an individual contributor. So whether you're in sales or pre-sales, as an individual contributor, if you're not an organization where you feel that, you know, you, you as an individual contributor should understand if you're wasting your time, right? And time is the most precious commodity you'll ever have in life. So if you kind of own it on yourself to go, hmm, get a bit curious and go, 
I'm winning, I'm losing, but why? Just ask your sales rep. Nothing's stopping you reaching out to the customer. If you had a great relationship with the customer, reach out and say, hey, can, do you mind if I have five minutes of your time just to ask you this, right? Get curious over where you're doing well and where you're not. And it will not only make your, your deal and your revenue performance better, it'll make you a better pre-sales person generally. You know, when you learn more from looking backwards, you know, that's why we study history at school so that we can learn from those events and kind of move forward. So I would say if you're an individual level, and you don't know that, find out, okay? And just keep a broad spreadsheet of this deal, maybe create your own categories and just understand, you know, over a year, over a time frame, where you did great and where you're not. And if you do that, come on the podcast and talk about it, because I think that'd make an amazing episode. If you are a leader, okay, one of the things I do is I, I ask the team to take a little bit of time and understand on a quarterly basis where we're doing well and where we're not from their perspective. So I don't always go to the, the sales, you know, code win and loss. We have a field on our CRM that we capture just some notes on that deal. Um, it's a very, very mini lightweight deal review. Have a look at your CRM and see if there's somewhere you can just record a bit of feeling about that deal, which is beyond a category code, which is just a real... You know, those little multiple factors, because Darren's right, it's not one re- reason when you have a drop-down box on your CRM of why you won or lost a deal. Go and get yourself a little text box that you can just type something in, because that will start to bring that kind of lens to your team of looking at where we win, why we win, where we lose, and, and again, why we lose. So I'd encourage people to go do that. And obviously read Darren's book, right? Connect with Darren. And one final very, very quick thing from me. We passed over a thousand uh, followers on LinkedIn um, since our last episode. So we've just gone over 1,043. Just a wow. huge thank you. Um, we have way, way more listeners than we do LinkedIn followers, which tells me there's a lot of you out there listening to this that either aren't active on LinkedIn or don't follow us. So go give the page a follow. Reach out to us like Darren did if you want to be on an episode. Come and join us. It's a lot of fun. Um, But thank you from us for supporting the podcast and helping us make it. It's our way of giving back. And just a huge thank you for for you taking the time to listen in. So, Darren, over to you. Yeah, um, thanks you. And congratulations as well on, on, on getting over that thousand mark. That's that's magnificent. I'm really pleased that pre-sales is getting a really big voice um in this area area now. Um yeah, we're we're coming into the festive season and I would say, you know, with the book, just buy yourself the gift of insight for Christmas yeah. and buy yourself a bigger win rate <laughs> at Christmas and get that book. And if your leadership don't buy in, well, buy them a little gift and slip it under their nose as well. Um, you can find it on Amazon. It's called Deal Crash, really simple. Or just go to my profile on LinkedIn. It's Darren Mason. We'll have to tap you up for a special discount code, I think, Darren. <laughs> I think that's what we need here, right? You know, so. Yes, definitely. Yes, call me. <laughs> Brilliant. So again, thanks for another awesome episode. Thanks for listening in. Um, You've been brilliant, Darren. Thanks for taking the time to join us. And we will see you again for an episode soon. Take care, guys. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. We'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn.